Baptist Catechism 84 and 85 is our focus for this afternoon. Uh, Question 84 asks, which is the tenth commandment? And the answer is, the tenth commandment is, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor thy manservant, nor his maidservant, his nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is his neighbor's. And question 85 asks, What is required in the Tenth Commandment? Please repeat after me. The Tenth Commandment requires full contentment with our own condition, with a right and charitable Frame of spirit towards our neighbor, and all that is his. I'll read from Leviticus 19, 9 through 18 now. God's word says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your, Lord, of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor to rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. But you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. I'd like to begin this afternoon by making some general observations about the Tenth Commandment in relation to the other nine. The Tenth Commandment is... Thou shalt not covet. It is somewhat unique. For one, this commandment is only kept in the heart and the mind. The other commandments are to be kept in the heart and mind too, but they also may be broken or kept with words and with actions. But covetousness is a sin only of the heart. Think of it. The other commandments may be kept or broken with our words and with our deeds, but covetousness is a sin only of the heart. It is an invisible sin. In other words, there is no way to covet with one's lips or to covet in action. It is a sin of the heart. Now, covetousness in the heart will inevitably produce sinful words and sinful deeds, but those sinful words and deeds will be something other than covetousness. In fact, the one who is wise will see that violations of the other nine commandments do often, if not always, spring up from a covetous heart. Some connections are very obvious. Men and women often steal because they are 
discontent in the heart. They have covetousness in the heart and therefore that does lead them to steal. They wish to have more than what they have. They wish to possess what others possess and so, and so they take it unjustly. Men and women will lie for the same reason. Because they wish to gain some benefit or to gain some advantage. And so, because there is a degree of covetousness in the heart, it may lead them to lie. Adultery also proceeds from the sin of covetousness. In fact, covetousness in the heart will also drive violations of the first table of the law, which has to do with the proper worship of God. Think of Adam's sin, for example, of eating of the forbidden fruit. That sin was really about worship. Adam was to have God as God, but instead Adam listened to the voice of another. And why did he do it? Why did he follow after the voice of another? Why did he violate the first commandment which was written on his heart? Well, he listened to the words of the serpent who convinced him that there was more to be had, that God was holding out on him somehow. And so there was covetousness in Adam's heart which led to his act of of rebelling and eating from the forbidden tree. So in a sense, it was covetousness that drove Adam to rebel against his Maker and to worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator. So then, though it is true that covetousness is a sin of the heart, that does not mean that it is any less serious than the other sins. In fact, I think an argument can be made that it is a most serious offense, for it does produce all other violations of God's law. And I would urge you to reflect carefully upon this. And I think if you do, you'll agree that covetousness or discontentment in the heart is in fact like a polluted spring that bubbles up producing many vile and unpleasant things. James speaks to this in James 4, where he says, or asks, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? It's a good question. Where do those quarrels and fights, where, where do they come from? What produces it? His answer is this, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel, you do not have, because you do not ask, James says. And so his teaching is pretty clear. Where does murder come from? Well, it starts with covetousness in the heart. Where do unjust wars come from? Covetousness in the heart. Where do our quarrels and fights come from? Often they spring from the covetousness that resides within our heart. These things proceed, spring forth from the passions that reside within us. Let me be very specific. How many times have you been cranky and short-tempered with others because things aren't going the way you want them to go? It's pretty simple, isn't it, you know? You wake up in the morning, you expect the day to go in a certain way, and things don't go the certain way, and you say, I want things to go in a different direction, and therefore from that, from that heart of discontentment, all manner of evil does flow. Now think bigger. Think beyond the disappointing day, and consider the course of one's life. Imagine the evil and destruction that will flow from a heart that is discontent, not with the bad day, but with life. Indeed, if one's heart is overwhelmed with discontentment, if one's heart is, is consumed by covetousness, uh, that heart is going to produce many vile things. So the point is this, 
do not mess around with covetousness, brothers and sisters. Don't allow it to reside within you. Stated positively, pursue contentment in life. For godliness with contentment is great gain. 1 Timothy 6.6 And what is the remedy to discontentment? What is the remedy? What is the solution to this problem of discontentment or covetousness within the heart? The remedy is love. Love for God and love for your fellow man. That is the remedy to discontentment and covetousness within the heart. Love for God and assurance of His love for us will help to guard our hearts against discontentment regarding His will for us. The writer of Ecclesiastes speaks to this when he says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. And so I wonder, are you content, brothers and sisters, with your lot in life? Are you content with God's will for you? Think of it. It was God's will for you to be born at a particular time, in a particular place, to particular parents. It was God's will that you were born a certain gender, with a certain color of skin, not to mention many other physical features that are unique to you. And it was God's will for you to have particular gifts, resources, and even experiences in life. And I am asking you, are you content with these? Are you grateful to God? Or has your heart been overrun with discontentment before Him? To love God is to be grateful towards Him. And this is why I have said that love for God is a remedy to covetousness and discontentment. But some will respond saying, but what about the hardships that I have endured in life? What about the suffering that I have endured or the suffering that I am enduring even now? The scriptures do speak to this, don't they? They command the child of God to rejoice even in the trials and tribulations of life, knowing that God works through them for good. This requires faith to maintain this perspective. This is a perspective that must be gained by the people of God by faith. This is a perspective that must be maintained. To be content, we must love God. We must be grateful to Him for His will for us. And we must also be assured of His love for us, even, and perhaps I should say even especially, through the trials and tribulations of life. We must be assured that God is working all things together for good for us if we are in Christ Jesus, because He loves us. And so here I am urging you, brothers and sisters, to pursue contentment. It is great gain. But sometimes, and I am acknowledging this, it is hard to get. It's hard to maintain. It is especially hard to get and maintain during times of suffering. And by no means am I denying this, but the Scriptures do call us to pursue contentment in Christ Jesus nonetheless. To love God, to be grateful to Him for His will for us, to know that even in times of difficulty, He is working things together for good, for the good of His people in Christ Jesus. It seems to me that covetousness 
and discontentment is running rampant in our society today. Men and women are discontent with just about everything, it seems. And this all begins with their hostility towards God. They have no love for God and they are thoroughly dissatisfied with God's will for them and so they war against it continuously by seeking to be gods themselves. They wish to determine for themselves what is right and wrong and they even seek to overrule who it is that God has made them to be. They are discontent inwardly and it produces all manner of of vile and evil things. And such were some of you. But you have been washed in the blood of Lamb and renewed by the Holy Spirit. And as God's people, we should be content before Him. We should be satisfied in Him. Love for God is a remedy against discontentment, and so too is love for our fellow man. Instead of coveting what others have, if we love them, we will rejoice with them concerning their prosperity. Are you poor? Then do not look at your brother who is rich and covet his wealth and complain against God that you do not have what he has. Rather, be grateful to God and rejoice in your brother's prosperity with love in your heart for him. And the very same thing may be said regarding the sick in relation to the healthy, the single in relation to the married, the childless in relation to those with children, etc., etc. When others have things that we wish to have, we must not covet what they have. We rather must be thankful to God for what He has given to us. We must be content before Him. And we must celebrate uh, the prosperity that others are enjoying because we do in fact love them. These are very difficult issues to work through, brothers and sisters, aren't they? Some of you have struggled greatly with this. I think we all have, to one degree or, or another. We have struggled to gain and to maintain Contentment. It, it is so easy for us to, to grow discontent in life and to wish that things were something other than what they, they are. But we must pursue contentment. I have said this to you before and I need to say it again. Contentment does not require us to be complacent. There is nothing at all wrong with wishing that things were different than what they are. There is nothing at all wrong with pursuing some sort of advancement in life, greater prosperity, being free from this suffering or that. There is nothing at all wrong with pursuing those things. But as we pursue advancement in the various arenas of life, we must maintain that heart of contentment all along the way. We must be grateful to God and happy with the prosperity of those around us while we pursue the betterment of our own Condition. This is difficult, and I am not denying that it is difficult, but we must work through these things with love in our hearts, love for God, and love for our neighbor. Perhaps you noticed that this is how the Leviticus 19, 9-18 passage that I read earlier concluded. That passage commands all kinds of things in regard to our relationship with our neighbor. We are to care for the poor and for the sojourner. We must not steal. We must not deal falsely. We must not lie to one another. Neither shall we oppress or withhold from our neighbor, etc., etc. The the, the passage goes on. In in that passage, sins of the heart are also forbidden. Hatred and grudge-bearing against our neighbor is forbidden of us. So there we see that we are to keep our own hearts even in relation to our neighbor. We must not be overwhelmed with hatred, grudge-bearing, discontentment regarding our neighbor's a state in life, but it is all summed up with this command, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Uh, that is the great summary of the second table 
of God's law. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Love is the remedy to covetousness, brothers and sisters. Love your neighbor as yourself, but love God, love God above all. And that really is the key, I think. We need to find our satisfaction in Him, and we must be content with His will for us. For God is good, and He is good all of the time. Let's bow together for prayer. Great God in heaven, help us as your people to walk in obedience to you. Help us to use our lips in a way that is pleasing to you also. But God, do help us to first and foremost keep our hearts pure before you. We need you, O Lord, to strengthen us in this regard. We know that we have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. We have been given new hearts. The heart of stone has been removed. You've been given that lively heart of of flesh in Christ Jesus. And we are grateful for this, O Lord. But purify us day by day. Help us to keep our hearts free from all discontentment and covetousness. Help us to keep our hearts free from bitterness and resentment. Lord, help us to keep our hearts pure, for we know that from the heart spring the issues of life. So God, help us to be thoughtful as your people. Help us to be prayerful before you, truly repentant before you day by day. Sanctify us, Lord, to the core of our being by your word and by your spirit, so that we might walk worthy. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.